China's medical sector facing an unprecedented year-long probe. Over 150 hospital leaders, including Communist Party leaders, now facing investigation. But what's the true target? China's youth jobless rate now hidden from public view. We dive into what's happening with the nation's floundering economy. Plus, Beijing slashes interest rates for medium-term loans, sending them to their lowest level since the pandemic broke out. And the Chinese defense minister is meeting his Russian counterpart as Washington struggles to get Beijing to pick up the phone for military talks. What's at stake here? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China's medical sector facing new pressure. A wide-ranging anti-corruption campaign is kicking off across China. It covers everything from drug manufacturing to medical insurance. While such clampdowns are seen as routine in China, Bloomberg reports this one would last a year. Reports note the probe is sending shockwaves through the medical sector across thousands of multinational companies. Over 170 healthcare professionals under investigation. That's according to data by a Beijing-based healthcare provider. China's healthcare stocks slumped in response Tuesday, with the main index down 13 percent year-to-date. Most of the clampdown's targets fall under lower-tier cities across China. But reports suggest it's just getting started. An insider with Shanghai's medical sector telling Radio Free Asia this probe goes back 20 years to when computer records first began. The healthcare sector is the latest to come under scrutiny by Beijing. In the past, the tutoring, fintech and property sectors lost trillions of dollars in the process. Amid the healthcare crackdown, recently leaked documents from Beijing City Health Commissioner reveal a secret directive seemingly to laundering bribery funds. The document states that any accepted gift money, payment, vouchers or commercial prepaid cards for medical staff and health institutions should be deposited into so-called clean accounts. Noting the accounts will conceal the privacy of the recipient as well as the amount of money deposited. NTD cannot independently verify the notice. Internet users are furious, with many demanding that the money be returned to the public. No statistics equals no unemployment. The hashtag soared to the top of China's trending list after the country's statistics bureau announced a new plan to suspend the release of this month's unemployment data. The suspension comes after China's youth unemployment rate hit consecutive record highs in recent months. From April to June, the official jobless rate for 16 to 24-year-olds reached 20.4 percent and 21.3 percent, respectively. But an expert on China's economy warned the real data may be even larger. The unemployment rate for youth between 16 of age and 24 is over 20, almost 21 percent. That's what government admitted. I believe that the real number could be as high as 30 percent. Brian McCarthy, chief strategist at an investment advisory firm, told NTD that pandemic lockdowns could still be impacting the jobless rate. A lack of employment opportunity, um, increasing hardship for small businesses, uh, which were effectively hung out to dry during the pandemic lockdowns. They received none of the subsidies that uh, small businesses in the West received to help them you know, bridge that, that, uh, that difficult time period. Many Chinese Internet users are voicing concerns over lack of transparency in the country's unemployment data, with some even saying they've been unemployed since graduating college. 
Another marker for Beijing's tumbling economy, China's central bank slashing a key interest rate Tuesday, dropping the rate on one-year loans to just 2.5%, a whopping 15 basis points. Besides that medium-term cut, the bank also cut one of its short-term lending rates by 10 basis points. The unexpected rate plunge comes as the biggest one since the start of the pandemic. Driven by attempts to stabilize the country's property market woes, slumped demand and slowed consumer spending. But the rate cut comes with its own penalties. China's yuan sank to its lowest point since November on Tuesday, further widening the gap with the U.S. dollar. Are foreign investors losing interest in China? Massive sums of American and European money have been injected into the Chinese market through hedge funds. Yet foreign inflow is now facing a continuous decline, going on for two years in a row. Here's what analyst Robert Halver of Bader Bank had to say on why. China now has serious problems, domestic deflation, a massive real estate crisis. You just don't get the goods, the investments that you used to get. So China is certainly in a state of unease at the moment. Bloomberg warned that international companies might face losses inside the world's second biggest economy. Financial database Prequin also showed that over 60 percent of funds invested in China failed to make money in the first half of this year. That set off alarm bells in the financial community, since it marks the second year of financial losses. In 2022 alone, more than two-thirds of China-focused hedge funds lost money. Huge losses are sapping people's appetite for China's assets. Some hedge funds have said they're seeing less demand for China from Asia and foreign investors. Inside China, strict policies are hitting private companies and e-commerce hard. That's alongside Beijing's mounting geopolitical tensions with the U.S. A new report says China's birth rate could be in even worse trouble than we thought. Data shows it sank to a record low in 2022, coming in at just 0.9 percent. That's a near 70 percent drop compared to pre-pandemic stats. According to experts, China now ranks near the top of the list for the world's lowest birth rates. It's also estimated to have one of the worst cases of an aging population among all largely populated countries. The regime is struggling to backpedal after ending its infamous one-child policy in 2015. Now it encourages bigger families, urging three children per couple. But Chinese Internet users say they're not buying into that idea, with many social media comments suggesting birth rates will continue to fall unless authorities take action on issues like education, health care and housing costs. Likewise, China's slowing economy has left young people fighting a high unemployment rate, putting strain on the possibility of starting families. What's it like to lose your freedom inside China? Separated from family members and children, granted just 10 hours of sunlight for one full year. An Australian love letter details the harshness of life inside a Chinese jail cell. Her story now serving as a cautionary tale for other Western expats living in China. Here's more. A love letter to 25 million people. After being detained in China for three years, for the first time, former Australian anchor Chung Lei was able to send a letter home, which she addressed to all Australians. She wrote that in her cell, the sunlight shines through the window, but I can only stand in it for only 10 hours a year. Adding she hasn't seen a tree in three years, and she relives memories of every bushwalk, river lake, 
beach with picnics and psychedelic sunsets, secretly mouthing the names of places I've visited and driven through. Chung's partner back in Australia said it was heartening to receive the letter, but he also feels a sense of guilt. He was at a meeting in Brisbane at the time. Beautiful sunshine, trees, birds, people out exercising, all of those sorts of things, and, and you can't help but feel a tiny bit guilty for the, I guess, freedoms that I've gotten and, and, and the people listening and watching this program have got. So, um, and she's doing it very, very tough. Chung is a Chinese-born Australian. When Chinese authorities arrested her in Beijing three years ago, Chung was a high-profile TV anchor working for China's state-controlled broadcaster. Beijing accused her of leaking state secrets without giving details. Chung's arrest came a year after Australian relations with China took a plunge. Beijing has also detained dozens of foreigners on espionage charges. Examples include Michael Spaver, a Canadian consultant, and Michael Kovrig, a former Canadian diplomat. Just this May, China sentenced a 78-year-old American citizen to life in prison. The charges related to spying. China did not give details. The State Department has warned Americans to reconsider travel to China. As for Chung, she had a closed-door trial last year and has yet to receive her sentence. There have been speculations that Beijing might use Chung as a bargaining chip with Australia. The country's prime minister received an invitation to visit Xi Jinping, but he's facing pressure to delay the trip until Beijing releases Chung and another detained Australian. I have been invited to visit China. I do want to visit China. We will uh, engage uh, about a date uh, going forward. Uh, Cheng Lei has uh, released uh, a statement today that is very moving, that shows uh, her passion uh, for her country of Australia. And we continue uh, to raise issues like that, as well as economic issues. At the end of Chung's letter, she wrote, most of all, I miss my children. China's defense minister is visiting Russia and Belarus in a show of support, which the West has sought to isolate over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Speaking in a security forum there, the minister says it's important to communicate openly. Here's more. China is vowing to improve its military ties with a string of countries. The U.S. is not on that list. The country's defense minister, Li Shangfu, spoke at a recent security conference in Moscow. He said Beijing is willing to elevate its relations with Europe and deepen military cooperation with neighbors, including members of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. He went on to say China would further friendships with African, Latin American, the Caribbean and Southern Pacific nations. Li also sent out a warning while in Moscow, saying Beijing would not allow anyone to interfere in the Taiwan issue, and calling the matter part of China's internal affairs. Playing with fire and attempting to control China with Taiwan will inevitably end in failure. The comment following Taiwan's vice president making a stopover in New York City last Saturday. He's also a front-runner in the island's upcoming presidential election. Military tensions are rising between the two superpowers. China has refused military communications from Washington. That's to protest a military sanction the U.S. laid on China six years ago. On the other hand, China and Russia are tightening their relations. I'm confident that today's meeting will contribute to deepening traditionally friendly ties between our ministries and armed forces and strengthening global and regional security. 
The two countries' defense ministers just met in Moscow on the sidelines of the security forum. Unmanned aerial vehicles, guided missiles, and long-range weapon systems. Those and more shown off by China for the Russian Defense Minister Monday. The showcase was part of a military expo near Moscow. Around 85 foreign companies joined the yearly forum, as well as organizations from seven countries. According to video released by Russia's defense ministry, the nation's military chief also inspected equipment from Iran and India. During the tour, he praised his country's new fighter jets and its so-called accomplishments in Ukraine. He then criticized the Western equipment as, quote, far from flawless. That exhibition also featured several armored vehicles built in the West. At the forum, the Russian minister also ordered the production of short-range air-to-air guided missiles. The weapon is capable of striking targets at all angles and is highly maneuverable in air combat. Another big story to look out for, $23 trillion. That's the side of China's local debt. How big of a threat does it pose to China's slowing economy? That report and more coming up tomorrow on China in Focus. But coming up today, suspended youth jobless data and slashed interest rates now plague China's market. So what does China's sharp economic downturn signal? And a new economic era seems to be dawning in China, referred to as Xi-nomics. How does it compare to policy here in the West? We welcomed China economic analyst Antonio Grosefo back on the show for insight. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China now choosing to skip its public updates on surging youth unemployment. What's China choosing not to tell the world about its economy? Plus a closer look at the so-called Xenomics, Chinese leader Xi Jinping's new model of capitalism. How does it work? We speak to Antonio Grosefo, China economic analyst, for more. Antonio Grosefo, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back. Good to see you, Tiffany. Where do you see China's economy going? Is it going to get better or worse? Well, I definitely see it uh, remaining at least flat. You know, we're not. We, I, I don't believe we'll ever see the huge growth again. Um, I don't believe it's going to collapse or crash. I, I don't believe that either. But I do have a pessimistic view in, in that I think that China's growth will normalize. It's going to. It's going to reduce down to some normalized level, whatever that winds up being. If it's three percent or three point five percent, and I'm just picking a number, kind of. You know, it's not, not an official number, uh, but that's what I see happening. I, I see the future of China being sort of, sort of a normalized, slower growth. We're not going to see the big numbers anymore. Does China say they have a free market economy, or how do they sell their version? Well, officially, they call their system, uh, they could call it market socialism. Uh, they call it socialism with Chinese characteristics or market socialism, because basically it's a hybrid. What you really have is you have some elements of a market economy. You are allowed to own your own business. If you're a Chinese citizen, you're allowed to earn a profit. Um, you're free to choose your career and change jobs and so forth, which is very different than in the old days. You're allowed to establish how much you want to produce, what products, how much you want to sell, and so forth. So they have these elements of market economy. At the same time, though, it's still a socialist country, still a communist country. So the um, state-owned enterprises account for a tremendous uh, percentage of the GDP. Then state-owned enterprises can own privately owned companies, 
or own significant uh, ownership of privately owned companies. Even companies that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange are significantly owned by state-owned Chinese uh, communist entities. So what that really means is that if they tell you that SOEs account for, let's say, 20% of businesses, actually if we say the state-owned enterprises plus companies uh, significantly controlled by the government, you might be looking at 30, 40% or more of the economy that is directly dependent on the state. And zooming in on that, what is, say, Xi-nomics? I think in the West we have Bidenomics as a term, but it sounds like, as you mentioned, right, Xi Jinping is moving away from the opening up that we saw under Deng Xiaoping. He's really pushing for the ideological rhetoric, kind of a return to Mao. So what does that mean in terms of the economy? So Xi Jinping wrote, you know, well, wrote somebody wrote <laughs> a book and put Xi Jinping's name on it, uh, Xi Jinping thought, right? And he's really one of the few Chinese leaders to ever have thought. We have the Mao Zedong thought, the little red book, the Xi book is white, you know, and, and it fulfilled the same role in the society. People had to carry it around with them. They, they, they would have meetings, not to the extent that they did with Mao. But, uh, you know, I was assigned to a work unit in China and we had Xi Jinping thought meetings and they were mandatory and you had to go to them and each person had to read and present. I, I was obviously the only foreigner, you know, that was assigned to that, but all the others were Chinese citizens. But that's, this is, I mean, what used to happen under Mao, you know? Everybody go home, read Xi Jinping, come back next week, and you know, one person will present a paper about what's in the book, and then everybody else will comment on how much they love the leader, and then we'll meet again next week. And this is a representation of the power of the party slash power of Xi growing and increasing restrictions on civil society social society and the economy. And it does seem, you know, we saw him stack his cabinet with his loyalists, kind of the end of Jiang Zeming, especially after he died, and these infighting, if you will. But what does that mean, and why should America care what's happening there? Well, what it means is that she has effectively purged the government of anyone who has a different opinion or is not 100% on his, you know, on, on his side on issues, which dramatically increases his strength because, number one, the Chinese leader versus the American president, the American president has to always think about re-election. So even if the president comes into office with radical ideas, new ideas, you know, you know if you look at Obama, you look at Biden, you look at uh, even Trump, they came in, I'm going to change everything, I'm going to do everything differently, and then they get in there and they, they're able to change some things, but then Mostly, they wind up having to do what everyone else did because you know you're you're going for re-election. You have to get the support of Congress, which has to be re-elected. You know, people in Wisconsin may not support their congressman voting for a particular, you know, initiative of the president, right? So the Chinese leader doesn't have any of these constraints on him. Number one, number two, he's there for five years, not four. Makes a big difference. They have the five-year plans. Then. We have Xi Jinping comes in and he purges the cabinet. So basically there is no one in government who can possibly say no to any of his ideas. So anything he thinks of will automatically happen. So, so in the West, it's almost like you're praying that he's going to think of good things, right? But unfortunately, the things he's thinking of are expanding the power of China beyond the borders of China. Uh, you know, the Belt and Road Initiative, the military expansion, uh, you know, uh, capturing Taiwan and so forth. And so what this means for the United States is that China is much more dangerous. Under Xi, there is no balance. There is no counterbalance within China. And I also don't believe there's any sort of 
brewing revolution or counter-revolution. There is no other party. There is no other figure that could possibly step up and challenge him. Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.